Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla, and we are excited today to introduce you to this year's William E. Conger Lecture in Christian Preaching, a good friend of mine who spent last week here on campus preaching, teaching, and counseling our students. I got to know Dr. Alcantara shortly after he finished his graduate work at Princeton Seminary and joined the faculty of my former institution, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. He is one of the most important voices in homiletics today, and I am pleased to have him on the show. Kristen, would you please introduce Dr. Alcantara to our listeners and get today's conversation started? Yes, hello everyone. We are glad to have Dr. Jared E. Alcantara um, with us on the show. He is Associate Professor of Preaching and holder of the Paul W. Powell Endowed Chair in Preaching at Baylor University's George W. Truett Theological Seminary in Waco, Texas. He is married to Jen and they have three kids. Welcome to the show, Dr. Alcantara. Thank you so much. It's good to be here with you. And my thanks to, uh, to Dean Sweeney, to, uh, to you, uh, my friend, Christine Padilla, and I had a wonderful time meeting uh, your husband, Osvaldo Padilla, and I've had a wonderful visit here and just delighted to be here. Thanks. We're so glad you're on campus um, with us this week, and we always like to begin um, by allowing our guests to give a fuller introduction um, uh, to our guest. Uh, please tell us where are you from? Um, did you grow up in the church or anything you want to share about your faith journey and what led you to Truett? Yes, thanks so much for that question. I uh, am half Honduran. My father immigrated from La Ceiba, Honduras in his 20s, joined the military, ended up uh, stationed in the Air Force at McGuire Air Force Base in southern New Jersey. I, I was born and raised in New Jersey, but had a Honduran family. My grandparents were back in Honduras, uh, several family members scattered in different places. So my dad's Honduran, my mom's white. I'm from New Jersey. I grew up Methodist. I'm an ordained Baptist minister uh, who studied at a mainline seminary and now teaches at, at Truett Theological Seminary at Baylor. So I've had quite a journey. I did grow up in the church, grew up Methodist, and ended up at Truett uh, for a number of reasons. I had a wonderful time at TEDS, but also uh, an opportunity at Truett arose uh, to have an opportunity for me, or I should say, I had an opportunity to uh, teach for their new PhD in preaching program. And that was so exciting to me uh, to not only invest in a generation of preachers, but also to invest in a generation of those who train them. And so at the master's level, at the doctoral level, uh, I've had wonderful opportunities to, to grow as a teacher of preachers and as a teacher who teaches teachers of preachers. Wonderful. Jared, we mentioned just a few minutes ago that you are here in a very important week in the life of Beeson Divinity School. It's the week that we set aside every year for our William E. Conger lectures in Christian preaching. And we couldn't be more excited about having you here with us this week. I wanna ask you to help those who haven't been able to be on campus this week with us. Uh, would you give them a little precis of your messages for us this week and tell all of us a little bit about these scintillating titles of your talks. <laughs> They've been the talk of the town. Uh, you gave us a sermon this morning called Preaching God in the Wild, 
and tomorrow. You're going to do a talk called The God Who Sees and Calls Us in the Wild. Thursday, your talk will be The God Who Saves and Sends Us in the Wild. What are these talks about, and what's the significance of that prepositional phrase, in the wild? Yes, well, that's a great question. I'm delighted to be here uh, to, to, to preach this week and to deliver these lectures. Uh, for me, uh, I felt a sense of uh, commitment, responsibility, curiosity, theologically, biblically, and then also ecclesially with this idea of uh, God coming to individuals and communities in the wilderness, especially because uh, the wilderness is used so often as a, as a negative metaphor. People will say, I'm going through the wilderness or the beginning of John Bunyan's uh, famous work, Pilgrim's Progress, as I walked through the wilderness of this world, I happened upon a den where I sat down upon a place. And so the goal is to get through the wilderness in order to get from the city you know, where he is born to the celestial city. Uh, but so often in scripture, what happens is, though the wilderness is a place of temptation and rebellion and judgment, which we should never ignore or overlook, uh, there's murmuring, there's wandering, a generation dies off, Jesus is tempted there. Uh, at the same time, at one and the same time, there are these interventions. There are moments where this is R.T. France speaking here, I'm paraphrasing him, the wilderness in Hebrew thought was a space where individuals and communities were prepared for a new beginning with God. So God appears to Hagar in the wilderness in Genesis 16, an outsider, a foreigner, an immigrant, uh, a, pregnant, a pregnant foreigner. Uh, God appears to Moses on the far side of the wilderness in Exodus 3. And uh, some commentators would say Elijah in the Kerith Ravine is a wilderness story. Uh, and there are other stories throughout. Uh, and then when we get to the, the New Testament, though Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, Jesus is also provided for there. So there's a God who sees, who calls, who transforms. A whole nation is formed in the wilderness. Uh, so coming out of the Exodus and into the promised land, there's category shifting that has to happen there too, where people no longer long for the old way uh, in Egypt, but instead uh, recognize their utter dependence on God. So a God who sees calls, finds, saves, sends, and then with the sermon from Luke chapter 3, the word of God comes to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's, that's not an accident that that would happen. So it's a, it's a space in which uh, people are faced with choices, and uh, when it comes to being the church, uh, so often people who are in those spaces wonder where the church is, uh, so what does it mean to be the church in those spaces, especially since God encounters and transforms individuals and communities in those spaces? So that those spaces are spaces, yes, of confrontation, but also spaces of transformation. What does it mean to be the church there, uh, to go there with God and to be the church to people there? All of your lectures and sermon will be on our YouTube channel, so I want to encourage our listeners to go to youtube.com slash Divinity, and you can listen to these uh, lectures and sermon yourself, and um, we highly encourage you to do it. Um, you are a scholar and teacher of homiletics, as has already been stated, and so I'm interested, what sparked your interest in homiletics? Um, and specifically, you have several interests um, in this field related to preaching in African-American context and the role of race and ethnicity in preaching. So 
tell us what sparked your interest, your journey um, to becoming a teacher of preachers and um, anything uh, you want to say too about just how your own upbringing shaped uh, your, uh, the way you preach and the way you view preaching. Yes, thank you for that question. Uh, it, it, my upbring, upbringing does shape my, my passions, my interests, uh, partly because of course, being the, the son of an immigrant, uh, that marked me and had an imprint on me. Uh, I grew up in, uh, in a neighborhood where 40 different nationalities were represented. And so difference was very much a norm for me, uh, different languages, different races, ethnicities, contexts. Uh, and then, you know, part of my educational journey too, navigating uh, predominantly white institutions as well as someone who was bicultural. Uh, so uh, sometimes that biculturalism was an advantage, other times it was exhausting. Uh, there's a certain tax that so often uh, uh, people pay when they're navigating uh, institutions as well as, as racial or ethnic minorities. And so there can be an invisibility, a caricature, a taxation that takes place. There are gaps that need to be filled, uh, opportunities for the church to be better, the body of Christ to be better because of diverse perspectives and backgrounds. And so, so that's all, that was all a passion area and a focus area to begin with. And then with my research, uh, having opportunities, uh, especially since I had been connected in various ways with African-American churches, uh, where I grew up, and then even in seminary and later. Uh, so, so, uh, so that space, and then of course, as, as someone who's Honduran-American, uh, spaces for uh, Latino, Latina, Latin American uh, churches, traditions, spaces, uh, those spaces are energizing to me. Uh, and also, I feel a sense of burden and responsibility to make those spaces better known where they, where they, do not, where they are not yet known. Uh, so bringing those spaces, voices, perspectives closer to the center is something I'm very uh, passionate about, committed to, and would love to see happen in theological education. Dr. Alcantara, I want our listeners to know that you and Beeson Divinity School have someone in common, and that person is Gardner C. Taylor. Uh, Dr. Taylor was a well-known African-American preacher. He's now with the Lord, of course, but he was the first person to give our conger lectures. So you're uh, following in the footsteps of somebody who's been an influence on your life and someone who obviously has been an influence on our lives as well here at Beeson. I want our listeners to hear that you've done a lot of research on Dr. Taylor. Two of your books deal with him. One is called Crossover Preaching, Intercultural Improvisational Homiletics, in Conversation with Gardner C. Taylor. And the other one is called Learning from a Legend, What Gardner C. Taylor Can Teach Us About Preaching. Would you tell our people who Dr. Taylor was and what difference he's made in your own life and your own preaching? Yes, well, with it's, a, it's with a certain amount of fear and trembling that I follow Dr. Gardner C. Taylor many years later uh, as a, a, a someone who is delivering the Conger lectures, I'm I'm so delighted that uh, that he was the first Conger lecturer. He was born in 1918 and died in 2015, and so he was just shy of his 97th birthday. And uh, grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and grew up Black Baptist in the South during Jim, the Jim Crow era. 
uh, and was a phenomenal preacher and was seen as someone of great promise from the very beginning. His father died when he was young, but other denominational leaders took him in and became almost surrogate fathers denominationally, uh, ecclesially, uh, and saw great promise in him. He was far from the Lord. During college, he experienced this uh, radical uh, conversion after uh, almost suffering a fatal car accident uh, and really experienced his call then and uh, served churches uh, in Ohio uh, and also in Louisiana. He, he went up to Ohio to go to Oberlin, then back down to Louisiana to serve churches there, and then ended up in New York at Concord Baptist Church, which was an amazing historic African-American church just at the age of 30 and pastored there till the age of 72. So that's 42 years. Uh, and was seen really uh, by a whole generation, more than one generation of preachers as the preacher par excellence. Like people like Martin Luther King Jr. would listen to Gardner Taylor so that they could get better. And when Dr. King was going up from Atlanta to Boston to do his PhD program, he would always stop in New York and visit with Gardner Taylor. I mean, this was someone who was a mentor to that whole next generation of preachers who came after him. He was older than King uh, and was seen as a seminal figure. So during the civil rights era, uh, the, the Progressive National Baptist Convention formed partly due to Gardner C. Taylor's influence. Uh, and it has, he's earned many different nicknames, uh, Dean of the Nation's Black Preachers, Poet Laureate of the American Pulpit. He's a name that should be better known in all spaces. Uh, there are younger African-American preachers who don't know the name Gardner Taylor. My, my hope would be that a, a whole generation of seminarians would come to know that name, especially since as a leader and, and perhaps even more importantly, as a preacher of preachers, uh, his, his name should be known uh, to seminarians today because of his phenomenal preaching and, and his great work. I want to keep you talking about your books. Uh, our uh, students in our preaching courses use your books um, as their required reading, um, one of them being crossover preaching, and then another one uh, being the practices of Christian preaching. So I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about these books, introduce them to our listeners. And then um, secondly, I wonder if you can talk some about ways that seminarians and pastors and preachers can become more effective preachers in a multicultural world, which is one aspect uh, of of what you're trying to do with your books. Yes, well, I'll start with a, a little outline of the books. Crossover Preaching uh, came out of my dissertation. And uh, when I first wrote the proposal for my dissertation, my advisor very gently said to me, uh, you, you're planning to write three dissertations. So you need to write one of these. Uh, I was fascinated by Gardner C. Taylor's preaching but I was also fascinated by the question, uh, what does it mean to have an intercultural homiletic in the 21st century? And part of what drew me to Gardner Taylor, you know, sometimes our theological interests are our autobiographies in disguise, was here's someone who knew how to navigate difference effectively, uh, not just racial and ethnic difference, but ecclesial difference too. So he could preach in Lutheran churches, he could preach in Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches. He could preach at Princeton Seminary and he could preach at an HBCU seminary. And he knew how to navigate all of these different spaces extremely well. And so I had to, had to make a choice, but that choice was also part of what fascinated me about him was here's someone who, and this is borrowing language from Cleophus J. LaRue's work, here's someone who is a crossover preacher. 
uh, who can navigate those spaces extremely effectively, be, be uniquely himself in his church, Concord Baptist in Brooklyn, but also be uniquely himself when he's preaching for the National Bible Pulpit Hour for NBC. So how's this possible? So crossover preaching really examined that. It looked at these two competencies of improvisational proficiency and intercultural proficiency and said, here are some proficiencies that would matter in the 21st century. And here's someone who was doing this as a case study long before we were talking about why they should matter. And so what can we learn from him? What's his contemporary significance in addition to his historical significance? So that's the first one. Second one, the practices of Christian preaching really is the textbook that, that is connected to that work because I was especially fascinated by some key themes of um, the power of intentional collaboration that leads to greater creativity, the power of strategic diversity when we apprentice ourselves to voices that are different than our own, to perspectives that are different than our own, we become better as preachers. Uh, the practice of Christian preaching was also intentionally multilingual. So practice-centered, intentionally collaborative, strategically diverse, intentionally multilingual, English and in Spanish. Uh, and then a goal, the goal was technological innovation too. So a lot of visual learners, auditory learners, they wanna see and hear examples uh, of preaching, uh, especially since so much of preaching is caught too. We can only teach so much in one semester. So let's listen to sermons, let's watch sermons, but let's also expose ourselves to an intentionally diverse array of sermons from different backgrounds too, so that that, that will help us uh, become better. So that's the, the preaching textbook that really is part of that larger work of crossover preaching. You know, what would crossover preaching look like in a preaching textbook? That makes sense. Uh, and then those values are values that I think every preacher uh, could and should uh, uh, hold on to in order to, to get better. So whatever vantage point we come from, let's say we are a manuscript preacher, we can learn from, from those in folk preaching traditions. Uh, if we're a white preacher, we can learn from non-majority preaching contexts. Uh, if we're a preacher from a Baptist denomination, we can learn from great preachers of other denominations. Gardner Taylor, when he was at Oberlin, would stay up late at night and read sermons in the library from preachers who, who weren't Black Baptists. He read those too, and he knew those well. But he would also read preachers who were totally different than he was from different traditions, backgrounds, denominations, but, but what, what was held in common was that these were preachers' preachers who were, who, who were gifted and uh, who had, a, had an ongoing commitment to, to growth and excellence in preaching. Uh, so those are just a few thoughts. I, don't, I could go on, but I, I, I won't bore you too much longer. Jared, one of the things we're working on these days with our students at Beeson is the internationalization of their theological horizons and their ministry, their ministerial horizons. And you are such a helpful person to have on campus in that respect. Uh, again, thank you very much for being with us this week. Uh, you've thought so carefully for a long time now about faithfulness and fruitfulness in intercultural ministry. How have preachers from the majority world shaped you as a preacher and a teacher of preachers? Yes, in many different ways. And this is part of my own intellectual theological growth, growth too. And we've talked about this uh, through the years as well, the importance of recognizing world Christianity and global theology uh, and recognizing that yes, Christianity has moved South and moved East, but also 
you know, close to three out of four of those who migrate to the United States are self-identify as Christian. And so even just our own rhetoric around uh, who, who immigrates here. So what, what does it mean that immigrant churches in the United States are thriving and flourishing? Diaspora churches. So you can find Ethiopian churches in Washington, D.C. and Liberian churches in uh, Minneapolis and Peruvian churches in Los Angeles and fill in the blank. Uh, so yes, preachers from the majority world, whether they're deceased or living, continue to shape me, my own journey. I mean, in Latin America, there are some brilliant homiletics textbooks that have never been translated into English. So Cecilio Arrastia was Cuban, um, Osvaldo Motesi, Argentinian, still, still living. Uh, and then we have Orlando Costas, uh, who not only wrote in missiology, but also wrote in preaching. So those were leading, those were thought leaders in Latin America or are thought leaders in Latin America still. Uh, there are living preachers like in Zambia, Conrad Mabewe, who's considered the Spurgeon of that part of Africa. Uh, in, in Southeast Asia, uh, I think of... Um, uh, I think of uh, uh, Kyung Chik Han in South Korea. I mean, brilliant, who's now deceased as well. Uh, or uh, Kosuke Koyama in Japan. I mean, these, are, these, these were dynamic, amazing preachers, but a lot of those names wouldn't necessarily be known. And so uh, it's important, not only for preachers to become more familiarized with those names, as we think about it in terms of the preaching tradition, but then also for those who teach in classrooms that are intercultural, interdenominational, and global, that those names matter to our students and that it's important, even if we, we might not be experts on those names, but it is important to our students that we would know those names and get better at knowing those names. Because the, the, the river is the tradition or the, the river, sometimes tradition is referred to as a river, it's wider and deeper then we realize, and preaching only gets better when we think that way. I'm gonna mention one more name because I've heard you're working on a new book on this person, Joseph H. Jackson, the pastor of Olivet Baptist Church in Chicago and longtime president of the National Baptist Convention. I wonder if you can tell our listeners about this new project. Who is J.H. Jackson and what are you hoping to accomplish? Well, I had gotten to know the name J.H. Jackson when I was doing my work on Gardner C. Taylor. So J.H. Jackson was the longest tenured president of the National Baptist Convention, which is the largest uh, Black denomination in the world. And uh, he was president from 1953 to 1982 and pastor of the largest Black church in the world uh, in Chicago, Olivet Baptist Church, which at one point was close to 20,000 people. Uh, now, there are larger churches now, but I just mean at the time, it was the largest, it was, it was the mega church before people were talking about the mega church. So he was born in Mississippi in 1900 uh, and then uh, navigated different educational spaces, pastored in different places like Omaha, Nebraska, and, uh, and then also in Philadelphia, but really made his name in, uh, in the 1940s when he came to serve as pastor at Olivet Baptist Church. The pastor would come before him was also president of the National Baptist Convention. Uh, he didn't become president until 1953, uh, but this is a fascinating figure uh, because uh, uh, not only was, was he a person of immense influence, but he was also a controversial figure because he and Martin Luther King Jr. 
at one time were very close. He was very close with the King family. But later, especially getting into the 1960s, there was a, a split in that denomination over how to deal with civil rights, what it meant to, to be a prophetic voice, a voice of conscience uh, in that particular era. And so uh, there, were, there were merits to Jackson's approach of uh, economic empowerment and land ownership. Uh, but then there were also liabilities to that approach. Uh, King was calling for a more radical one. So I'm currently working on that. There's an archive in Chicago with uh, J.H. Jackson's papers. Uh, and then there are also other spaces where those resources are available, like the headquarters of the National Baptist Convention. There's people alive who remember him and can tell me stories about him. So I do those interviews. And so that's a multi-year project. And uh, I hope to have that uh, manuscript in uh, by uh, late 2022 uh, and have it published in 2024. And uh, the folks at Oxford University Press were kind enough to, uh, to take on that project and are excited about it. And I'm excited about it too. Now I just have to finish it. <laughs> I'm sure you will, and I'm sure it will be great. Dr. Alcantara, we always try to end these podcast interviews with a word of spiritual encouragement to our listeners. And of course, we all know uh, 2020, early 2021, really do feel uh, like wild wilderness times for a lot of us. Um, so I want to ask you, is there something that the Lord has been teaching you, maybe especially in recent months, that uh, you might offer to our listeners uh, by means of or as a way of encouraging them in their own walks with God? Mm. Well, thank you so much for, for asking that question and for giving me an opportunity to reflect on that a little bit. Well, I'll tell you what's really been speaking to me uh, lately is this idea over and over again in the book of First Peter um, that the word uh, precious appears in chapter one and in chapter two. And so it starts this way, that your, your faith is more precious than gold. It's chapter one, verse six. And then later on in chapter one, you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Uh, and then in chapter two, there's a quotation from Isaiah 28 that Christ is our chosen and precious cornerstone. Uh, and then later on in chapter two, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, treasured possession. So it's part of this family of words. And so this idea that our faith is more precious than gold because we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, who is our chosen and precious cornerstone all because God sees us as his treasured possession. So this idea of your faith is precious because Christ's blood is precious because he is the precious and cornerstone, because you are God's precious treasured possession. And so just doing commerce is a Burkauer term, doing commerce with my justification, that who I am in Christ, my identity, my union with him is something that I can hold on to when so many other things are shakeable, that is unshakable. Uh, when uh, so many things are unpredictable, that's predictable. Uh, and so often our, um, this is just human nature, we can start to focus our attention and our energy on stuff that doesn't matter and won't last. You know, we can misplace our priorities, care more about our reputation than God's reputation, or care more about our words than God's word. 
And so this is something to bring me back, the George Beverly Shea hymn for a poem that's set to music, I'd rather have Jesus, right? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than riches untold and houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. So for me, just coming back to that as a way to center, as a way to stay unshaken during times that are unshakable, and as a way to um, stay centered on what matters and what lasts instead of on what doesn't matter and won't last. Thank you, Dr. Alcantara, for that wonderful word from the Lord. Listeners, you have been hearing Dr. Jared E. Alcantara, Associate Professor of Preaching and holder of the Paul W. Powell Endowed Chair in Preaching at Baylor University's George W. Truett Theological Seminary. He is a dear friend of mine. We are so grateful to him for giving us this week of Conger Lectures in Christian Preaching. Thank you very much, Dr. Alcantara, for being with us today. And thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. As ever, we are praying for you, and we love you, and we covet your prayers. And in this instance, we encourage you, if you were not able to catch Dr. Alcantara's lectures uh, live, please check them out on the web. They are very edifying. Take care, and goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.